Week 44 of the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. I mean, they say it was Trump's best week um, because he had one outlier poll that had him at 49% and Iowa and, you know, the State of the Union where he lied. But, you know, we only really talked about Nancy Pelosi ripping up his speech. I don't think it was a good week at all. And quite frankly, even if it was a good week, shake it off, America. We got work to do. Let's start the show. We are now the defenders of the stronghold of democracy and of equal opportunity. You and I as citizens have the obligation to shape the debates of our time, not only with the votes we cast, but with the voices we lift. The people are looking for honest answers, not easy answers. The very word secrecy is repugnant. Clear leadership. And we are as a people. Not false claims and evasiveness and politics as usual. Opposed to secret society. But ours was a nation of the ballot, not the bullet. And a secret procedure. As a people, we cannot afford to let any group of citizens or any individual citizens live or labor under conditions which are injurious to the commonwealth. Black, white, Latino, Asian, Native American, young, old, gay, straight, men, women, folks with disabilities, all pledging allegiance under the same proud flag to this big, bold country that we love. That's what I see. That's the America I know. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. There is nothing wrong with America that cannot be cured by what is right with America. It's crunch time, America. The voting starts in New Hampshire. Get over Iowa. Get over last week with him getting acquitted. Understand that it was historic for the first time ever. A Republican, Mitt Romney, Senator Mitt Romney, voted to convict a president of his own party. Now, that brings up a lot of problems for people like me who have been pundits Uh, I've been a pundit nationally since 2010. I've been a pundit in general since 1995, maybe 1994 even. I take back all the dog stuff I said about Mitt Romney. And if I ever appeared to question his character, I take that back. Now, I I know that uh, I'm not the only one having to do this this week, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. But what he did last week was a true act of political courage, which is rarely seen. And I know that there have been some on the left that have discounted it. Yes, look, I don't agree with most of Mitt Romney's politics. I do believe that Mitt Romney has been the ultimate weather vane most of his political career. I mean, you could talk about how he created Romney Care in Massachusetts and said it should be a national model. And then when he ran for president, he said it wasn't a national model. You could talk about how he has flip-flopped on choice from when he was governor of Massachusetts to when he ran for president of the United States. There's a million things, not a million, but there are multiple things that you could talk about with Mitt Romney politically that show him flipping like a weather vane. I agree with that. However, that does not discount what happened last week. What Mitt Romney did on the floor of the Senate and the speech he gave took courage, took political courage, and it's something that is rare in politics. And by the way, if you thought that Manchin and Cinema and others, uh, Jones from Alabama, if you thought that they were going to just vote, you know, to remove this president without that, I-, I think Jones probably would have because, you know, he's in a really tough race this year. And frankly, he needs all Democrats with him this year. If he 
alienated Democrats in Alabama, he has no chance, frankly. Let's be real. And and the and the fact that he knows that there are going to be more crimes to come makes this vote easy for him. But there are others, I think cinema particularly, who go along with the president to get along sometimes. And, you know, politically, I guess that's what they have to do. I think that Mitt Romney's speech on the floor of the Senate and then his decision to vote to convict the president made it hard for them to walk away from that vote, walk away from their other Democrats. It was hard what Mitt Romney did. Make no mistake about it. There are going to be a lot of people who will not want to sit with him in the Senate cafeteria. And if you don't think that that matters to these guys, you're out of your mind. It's a popularity contest like any high school in this country. So I appreciate what you did, Mitt. Um... You know, I know that at times I might have talked about uh, your time at Bain Capital and maybe said that you caused somebody to get cancer. And I made a lot of jokes about that dog on the car. I I, I, I apologize for that. Um, perhaps the dog enjoyed it. I don't know. Uh, I would never put my dog on the roof of a car. I love my dog. I'm sure he loves his dog. I, you know, he did a very brave thing. Okay, and I know that there are a lot of people out there that, are discounting it. They're wrong. It was brave. It took political courage. I know there might have been some political calculus to it as well, because look, he's not up for four more years, and nobody thinks that this president's going to be popular four years from now. But it took a lot of courage, and I, for one, appreciate that. So Mitt, uh, congratulations. Um, If I had an award to give, I'd give it to you right now, because it definitely took courage. It took courage for all of those senators to vote against this president when he appears so strong. He is not strong. James Carville said it best last week. James Carville pointed out that this guy got elected with 44% of the vote and he never really has been above 45%. Yeah, there's an outlier poll that has him at 49%. You know, show me the average of polls. Show me the trend. I do not expect this president to, look, his speech last week after he, uh, when he went to the floor, not to the floor, he went to the East Room of the, of the White House, was perhaps one of the most pathetic things I've ever seen. He's reading Lisa Page's tweets in the East Room of the White House. Now, don't even get me started on how Republicans were chanting four more years, and then they're like, oh, how dare Nancy Pelosi make a mockery of the State of the Union and rip up those words. Give me a break. His speech was full of lies. Then he goes to the East Room of the White House the next day or two days later after he was um, uh, acquitted by the Senate. And rather than being magnanimous, showing some contrition like Bill Clinton did after he was acquitted, the man goes on a rant And if you're one of those senators, Susan Collins of Maine, who think that this is going to change the way this president does business, you are out of your mind. It's only going to make things worse. And frankly, that plays into the election because we are going to be running against Donald Trump and no matter who the Democrats nominated. And I know like there's a lot of, you know, everybody's in their camp right now. And by the way, that that attributes to some of his numbers against Democratic contenders, right? It, it contributes to some of it because when everyone's in their camp, they are not as quick to say, yeah, I'm going to support Joe Biden or yeah, I'm going to support Bernie Sanders or yeah, I'm going to support Pete Buttigieg or Bloomberg or whoever the Democratic nominee is. Amy Klobuchar making a run. When people are in their camps, they have a harder time acknowledging somebody else is a good candidate. The president's numbers haven't been great. He's been in the low 40s. You see some of the Democratic nominees getting in the 50s. You wait until there's one nominee. And I get it. There are a lot of people out there saying, oh, I don't like Bernie or I don't like Bloomberg. I I don't believe that. 
I believe that there are some people who will stay home. I don't believe there's a critical mass this time. I don't believe it at all. I believe that the threat that Donald Trump poses to everything progressives hold dear is too great for them to stay home in 2020. And no matter who the nominee is, they're going to get on board for sure. Yeah, are there a couple of kids out there and some people who are dug in that are never going to change? And they're, you know, they're Bernie or bust or Biden or bust. They're, yeah, maybe a very small percentage. And let's hope they're not in swing states. Because remember, Hillary Clinton lost by a very small amount of votes in three states. And there are more than three states in play right now, right? There are, by my count, at least seven states really in play. Florida, Arizona, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Michigan, right? Did I miss one? Georgia, North Carolina. So there are a bunch of states. I don't know what I counted here, but there are a bunch of states in play. And the president's margins of victory in those states were small. And Democrats have made significant grounds in the midterms in that, in that state, in those states. And I believe that turnout's going to be more important than almost anything else in 2020. I believe that motivating the voters are, uh, is going to be very important. By the way, you know who else believes that? Donald Trump. We can't take him for granted because his job over the next six months, eight months is to suppress the vote. He's going to be out there doing everything he can to destroy the Democratic nominee, no matter who he or she is. He's going to make that person look evil as bad as him on things. That's going to be his goal to suppress turnout because he knows if he could keep Democrats from coming out, he has a chance to win again, to draw that, you know, that, that inside flush to kind of throw out the Democratic choice. That's what he did to Hillary Clinton. He'll do it to whoever the Democratic nominee is, or at least he'll try. The goal here is for progressives and Democrats and the entire Democratic coalition, the whole anti-Trump coalition, which I believe includes a lot of Republicans, frankly. Your goal is not to be divided Your goal is to unite. So whoever the presidential candidate is, it's incumbent on that person to pick a running mate. And I used to be, you know, running mates don't matter, blah, blah, blah. I think if Hillary Clinton would have picked Bernie Sanders as a running mate, she'd be president right now. She'd be running for reelection right now. Um, I believe if Bernie Sanders is the presidential candidate, you know, he can't, he's going to have to pick somebody who's exciting to the moderate wing of the party as his running mate. And if, you know, Pete Buttigieg or Biden or Bloomberg become the nominee, they're going to have to pick somebody who excites the left side of the party. And we've got to have a diverse ticket. You can't have, look, Hillary Clinton picked a a good man uh, as her running mate, but he was just a bland, middle of the road Democrat. I mean, left left of center of the road. You got to pick somebody who's going to excite and unify the party, right? We are... Not at each other's throats. I don't think, I think the media makes too much of that. I don't think liberals and progressives and Democrats of all types are at each other's throat. There is a primary process going on right now and they are discussing who they're going to nominate. But once that nominee is picked, the next part of this race is all about registering voters and getting them to the polls. I don't think this election is going to be won on Medicare for all or how we're going to pay for Social Security. I think this election is, do you hate Donald Trump or not? Now, I don't hate anybody. 
but I think there's a lot of people out there that want to see this guy go. And that's the issue. The issue is, do you want four more years of this guy or do you want something else? And I think, frankly, America's exhausted and it is time for us to, to, to push him out. And I think that people are going to push him out. And we've got to w- stop with the infighting. I don't want to hear purity tests after the candidates picked. That's it. No more purity test conversations from anyone. I'm going to call it out on this show, on my radio show, which, by the way, is now on in Wisconsin, a swing state. I'm going to call it out. After the election, when the Democrat wins, you want to go back to talking about which issue is more important and how we should fund X, Y, and Z? Go go for it. I'm all for it. Those are policy conversations. We need to unite around our common cause. And our common cause right now is defeating Donald Trump. And I don't want to compare him to Hitler. I'm not comparing him to Hitler. But you know what? In World War II, uh, I'm pretty sure Roosevelt and, and Churchill didn't really like Stalin. But you know what? They liked Stalin more than they liked um, more than they liked uh, Hitler, right? They wanted to stop him. And I'm not again. I'm not comparing anybody to Stalin. I'm not comparing Trump to Hitler. I think that's an unfair comparison. Um, but I am saying groups of people who don't really like each other can come together and try to beat somebody they really don't like. And I think that's going to happen in 2020, and it should happen in 2020 because this is a mess. This is a train wreck. So for all you moping around out there about this last week, oh, the president had such a good week and everybody's crying. Nah, it's so good. The president had a good week. I Look, I don't even believe it was that good. If that was the best week he's going to have during this campaign, we should have no problem kicking him out of office in November. Because in his best week, he became the first president in history to have a member of his own party vote to remove him from office in the Senate. That's amazing. That was his best week. He had a guy who eight years ago was the party's standard bearer say he is not fit for office. He's not fit for office. That was his best week. Come on. Come on, man. Let me say one other thing about him giving Rush Limbaugh the um, Medal of Freedom at the State of the Union. I I talked about this on my radio show last week. and um, Rush Limbaugh is dying of cancer, and I feel for him. But Rush Limbaugh has spent his entire career race-baiting America and causing Donald Trump. Now, I get why Donald Trump likes him. There'd be no Donald Trump without Rush Limbaugh. Rush Limbaugh was like um, the John the Baptist of, of, uh, of, uh, you know, of, of Donald Trump, right? He, he prepared the way for uh, Donald Trump. He's the original Donald Trump. Donald Trump, I think, gets his act from Rush Limbaugh. It was a race-baiting divisive act and for the president of the United States to give this man the medal of freedom you know that in and of itself I think is ridiculous but for him to do it at the state of the union I I, look it was like a game show to me you get a scholarship you get a medal oh welcome home soldier well you know look I like that little girls get scholarships I like that that soldiers come home and get reunited with their families I get it that state of the union was a mockery of the state of the union and he lied every other word. I mean, he's talking about how he's going to protect pre-existing conditions while he's in court fighting against pre-existing conditions. Then he puts his budget out on Monday and his budget wants to cut Medicaid. By the way, make sure you tell all of your friends over the age of 60 that Medicaid and Medicare is on the chopping block right now by this president. He is going to reduce benefits. He's going to reduce Social Security. Get ready. He doesn't want to say it, but it's in his budget. 
And he's going to lie. He's going to say, I'll never, I'll, I'll never cut benefits. No, he will. It's in his budget. It's in his 10-year budget. Okay, his words don't matter. Watch what he's doing. That's what's in his budget. He, he Look, he's counting on the fact that nobody's going to read it and that we're not going to call him out on it. But, you know, he said it on video, and that video better play over and over and over again on the internet, on television, where he said, yeah, I think we're going to have to look at Social Security and Medicare. I mean, that's where there's money. Meanwhile, he's doubling the size of the military spending. Okay. I mean, not that we're not 10 times bigger than any other military in the world, including China, which we're so concerned about. Make sure we po- we point that out to our Republican friends who are going to need Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security at the end of their lives. Make sure they know it. Some of them are on it. A lot of people voting for this guy right now at these Trump rallies that he's having during the primaries, going to the primary states because he's a big idiot. It's not about me. I'm going to make it about me. Oh, oh, I'm so insecure. Can't just sit in the White House and watch results like everybody else. Completely insecure. Completely thin-skinned. We got to get whoever our nominee is needs to get under his skin every day. Got to pick a running mate that's going to get under his skin every day. One of the things I like about Bloomberg, and I'm not endorsing Bloomberg, is that Bloomberg gets under his skin. Because Bloomberg's, you know, really a billionaire and Donald Trump pretends to be a billionaire. And I think that really bothers Trump. And I think that in a campaign, Bloomberg, the real billionaire, First of all, he'd never be able to call him a communist or a socialist. That just, you know, you're going to call a guy who's better at capitalism than you by, you know, by a factor of 15, a, 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 a communist or a socialist. I mean, come on, give me a break. But that gets under his skin and it would bother him to no end. I mean, he, look at how he's reacting to Mitt Romney. I mean, the vote was last week and he's still tweeting about it. He's still mentioning at things. He goes to a prayer breakfast and he calls out Mitt Romney and Speaker Pelosi's fate. And then he contradicts the Bible. He's, you know, the, the guy who was giving the keynote address talked about loving thy neighbor, uh, loving thy neighbor as himself, forgiving thy enemies, doing all those things. These are words from Jesus in the Bible. President gets up there and says, you know, you know, I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that. You're not going to like what I have to say. At the prayer breakfast, the national prayer breakfast. What a mockery. Aren't you tired of this? Trust me. America's tired. I'm not saying take it for granted. Do not ever take this man for granted. He will do whatever it takes to win. He will lie. He will cheat. And he's doing it right now. He's lying and he's cheating. I have no doubt that some of the problems in Iowa can be directly linked back to Trump in some way. Okay. I'm sure that that phone bank that was set up that was crashing the Iowa phone system. I don't know if it was directly related to him. I'm sure he didn't give the order. At least I hope not. But it should be looked into by somebody. Because... Who did that? Who crashed those phones? Dirty tricks. Get ready. They're going to use them every chance they get. That's what they do. Don't take him for granted. We've got to fight, fight, fight. But we are going to win this this year if we all come together. All right. I got a great guest for you. Um, Dan Squadron who's also a former aide to Chuck Schumer, but he's the executive director and co-founder of a group called Future Now, and their website is futurenow.org. Uh, they are doing great things with legislators around the country, uh, trying to bring, you know, look, they're trying to fight these conservative legislators, uh, these state legislatures across the nation, which have really been run by a group called ALEC, which is this conservative think tank that has really poisoned uh, you know, state legislatures really nationalize them in a lot of ways and weaponize them 
uh, to really move the ball forward for conservatism and gerrymander the heck out of the district so that they hold those seats and then they could cut up Congress. But before I get to Dan, I got to remind you uh, to check out WarbyParkerTrial.com if you're looking for glasses. Look, they've got a great deal. Uh, You get five pairs for five days for free to try on if you go to WarbyParkerTrial.com slash Han. Now look, glasses, prescription glasses should not cost more than your iPhone does, right? Warby Parker makes the process simple. They've got dozens of styles to choose from and you can try them out at home. And you try them out at home and you, you, you put them on with your regular clothes, whatever clothes you're going to wear them with. You can have your wife tell you how they look, your friends, your, you know, you wear them to work, see how they feel. Five days, five pairs, $95 a pair. And let me tell you one other thing I love about Warby Parker. For every pair of glasses you buy, they donate a pair of glasses to someone in need. And I think that's the big selling point here for me. Okay, so go to WarbyParkerTrial.com for uh, this Great offer, warbyparkertrial.com slash Han. I always forget to do that, right? If you don't do the slash Han, you know, I don't get any credit for it. I don't know what, I don't know what else to tell you. Go to warbyparkertrial.com slash Han, and you'll get that special offer. And I really hope you give them a try. They're really doing good things around the world, and I think you'll enjoy it. All right, I'll be right back with Dan Squadron. Stay where you're at. Hey, America, Christopher Hahn here, the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. What is with the president and the right-wing echo chamber encouraging these astroturf protests against stay-at-home orders around the country? It's ridiculous, and it needs to stop. Check out the Aggressive Progressive Podcast wherever you download podcasts. I'm Royal Oaks. Next time on Too Many Lawyers, COVID continues to reshape the law. Supreme Court arguments will be held by teleconference. The justices won't even know if the lawyers are wearing pants, which is fair given the eternal mystery of what's under those black robes. Los Angeles County is springing 25% of its inmates. The sheriff suggests folks get ready for what might be a spike in crime. Check it all out on the next episode of Too Many Lawyers. Joining me now, a good friend of mine who I haven't talked to in a while, ran into him last week and said, hey man, how you been? You want to come on my radio show? He is the executive director and co-founder of Future Now. It is a progressive group that is uh, going around the country trying to change the laws so that we have a better way of life. Dan Squadron, former aide to Senator Chuck Schumer, just like me. How you doing, buddy? How are you, Christopher? By the way, not only former aide to Senator Chuck Schumer, former state senator from the great state of New York, uh, and a, a good man. How you doing? What's going on? Tell me, tell me, tell good. me what's new. Former Chris Hahn volunteer as well. That's true. You did drive around on one of my failed campaigns, and uh, and and uh, you drove around me. You were standing next to me when I lost. I think so. I and I, I will never forget you for that. So, so, um, so Dan, tell me a little bit about future now. What you're doing how people can get involved, why it's important. Sure. sure. So uh, Future Now, uh, which is a nonprofit and Future Now Fund, which is a political action committee, uh, basically has a very simple theory, which is that the mess we're in today didn't start when Donald Trump descended the golden escalator uh, and ran for the White House. It started decades ago in state legislatures, and state legislatures are the only place we're going to be able to fix it. So we're obsessed with state legislatures. Uh, we do that. Uh, Future Now Fund does that uh, in terms of getting involved in campaigns and trying to shift the balance of power in state legislative chambers around the country. 
um, so that uh, folks who are actually interested in the common good and improving people's lives have the power to do something about it. And uh, we, uh, Future Now, our nonprofit, works with lawmakers in office to try to get uh, enact good good bills. You know, um, this whole idea that uh, we had a great politics that was working well, was focused on people, and then Donald Trump got elected is a really dangerous Yeah, one. very dangerous. It means uh, if we beat him, we're going to be under the illusion that um, uh, things are fine and that if we lose, it'll appear to be that there's no hope. Truth is, state legislature is not just really where this got started, but also a place regular people can have a much bigger impact. Yeah. The average state legislative election costs like one-tenth what a presidential, excuse me, what a congressional campaign yep. costs. Yep. And so it's a place where you can really have an impact and get a little more hope about our future, because there really is some. That's good work you're doing, Dan. I really do. I think people should really understand it. Now, what are some of the bills that you're working on? Do you guys uh, weigh in on campaigns? You know, to, what what's your number one objective uh, for 2020? Right. Well, for 2020, uh, Future Now Fund is going to be working in 12 or 13 states uh, trying to create better governing majorities. Um, so we're going to be uh, there in campaigns, um, helping folks uh, raise the dollars they need, uh, help them run better campaigns, knock on doors, which you know, I know, and there's a run for office. Yep. Knows is the most important thing you can possibly do. Extremely and, important. And uh, really try to change the equation in these campaigns. Um, and, you know, we also really believe, and I, I've been on the uh, actually winning end of too many campaigns to be under any illusion that just winning solves all of our problems. Yep. In fact, uh, you know, a long time ago, I was in the first New York State Senate majority back in 2009 and 10, Democratic majority, first one in many years at the time, and it didn't work out. Yeah. Because we weren't prepared, didn't have the right set of goals. So we also have uh, a set of goals. Uh, called America's Goals, which is a bunch of shared values that a whole lot of the country could get behind, measurable targets to see whether states are getting there. What are some of those goals? Well, you know, really uh, uh, really controversial ideas like um, good jobs, affordable quality health care, investing in children, empowering people over special interests, equal opportunity for all, um, uh, better and stronger infrastructure, clean air, water, and energy. You know what's actually really interesting is that those goals are actually really broadly popular, right? There's this whole idea. Very popular, in yeah. We've seen in Washington all week, right, this idea that, oh, half the country's on one side and half the country's on the other. The big half, of course, on one side and the small half on the other. But still, right, right, right. But, but, that's, but that's not true. You know, the truth is that like 65 to 75 percent of people actually believe in those values I just said. And they even believe in them when you get more specific. When you say good jobs mean 100% of jobs should pay a livable wage, right? You shouldn't have to work full time and still be on public assistance. Or the idea that uh, uh, pre-existing conditions and uh, general health care should be available to folks so that getting sick doesn't mean going into bankruptcy or dying early just because you can't pay the bill. Those ideas, you wouldn't know it if you listen to national politics. You wouldn't know it if you listen to the screaming and yelling from the Trumpist uh, Republicans in Washington. Right. But the truth is, those are ideas with a supermajority behind them. And we're not going to break the logjam in Washington, D.C. Uh, for a long time, unfortunately. In a lot of state legislatures, you can. You can pass paid family leave, which uh, a whole bunch of states have done in the last half decade. You can protect pre-existing conditions, whatever Mitch McConnell right. decides to do. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a whole lot. You can, in fact, U.S. Congress in the last few years hasn't uh, itself expanded health care to a soul, hasn't 
uh, protected folks from the scourge of gun violence, hasn't um, done any of those things, but a whole lot of state legislatures have. Hmm. That's good stuff, Dan. Are you working at all with like Stacey Abrams organization or, or on similar goals to increase the franchise? Because I feel like, you know, you're right. Most Americans all share these goals, but we have one party that believes that government can't do anything. So they spend their day trying to make people believe that there's nothing they can do about it. So they don't vote. And then we have one party that believes government can help, but hasn't been really good at getting their voters to the polls. So, you know, are, I mean, for state legislative races and local legislative races in, in most of the country, are you working with groups like Stacey Abrams or on similar goals to her? Uh, absolutely. You know, what, what uh, they're doing is absolutely great. You know, what she uh, has done in terms of bringing focus and attention to getting folks to the polls, to uh, people's vote to right, uh, excuse me, right to vote. Yes. <laughs> is, is, uh, is really extraordinary. Uh, and so, you know, there, there are a very small number of groups uh, doing this work focused on state legislature. Um, and so, yeah, we're, we're trying to work together closely um, with all of them. And, you know, still you see that the focus and the attention, I mean, you know, in the last uh, three months, the Democratic presidential candidates have raised more money than it would take to fully fund every competitive state legislative election in a relevant chamber in America. Wow. Uh, and, you know, we did the math. Actually, we do a lot of analysis. because We have to analyze lots of state legislative races to know where to work. Did the analysis, the maximum number of people who could possibly get the Democratic presidential nomination is one. <laughs> uh, and a lot of us are going that's to analysis. That's analysis humor, America. Analysis humor. <laughs> pointing that out. That's a <laughs> guy who went to one. Yale that's trying to tell a joke uh, to a guy who went to St. John's. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> um. As, but, you know, I, the fact is uh, that money uh, is largely going to um, not impact the outcome. Not going to make the outcome of the presidential. Election. Right. It's certainly not going to impact the long term outcome of the country. Well, we got to figure out a way to get some of that money into the hands of state, lo- state and local officials and, you know, make it more sexy. You know, people running to change those, you know, look, I'm married to a, sta- a local official and, you know, I've, I've worked on state legislative campaigns. It's different here in New York. We tend to. Uh, have competitive races all over the place in this state uh, and some money pours into it. But in other parts of the country where these state legislatures are passing these backwards, ALEC leaning pieces of legislation, uh, you're right. I mean, we need to, to, to get some volunteers and some money into those campaigns and maybe the money we're wasting uh, in places like Iowa, for example, uh, will be better spent somewhere else. And maybe as a, maybe as a, a party or at least as progressives, we should really have a reckoning on this. All right, Dan, stay where you are. I'm going to take a quick, quick break, and then we're going to come back. I'm going to talk to talk you talk to you about 2020 and some other things. All right, here's part two of my interview with Dan Squadron from Future Now. How can people get involved with Future Now? Uh, so this is the amazing thing, right? A really small amount of money goes a really long way in state legislative elections, and um, you know, you stop tearing your hair out at being an observer to the destruction of your democracy in Washington, D.C., and start being an active participant in fixing it. So we have something called Giving Circles. These are groups of people. They come together. Uh, they can set up their own website through futurenow.org. They can give themselves a name, a description, and a fundraising goal. They get their friends and neighbors involved to help reach that goal. And uh, then they get to choose which state they want to impact for the 2020 election. It's a great way to take control of your democracy, take control of your fate, 
uh, you become the master of this program to actually raise dollars and have a huge impact in state elections where it matters. People become, it's amazing, Chris, you wouldn't believe it, experts on the state legislature they're going through. They start texting and emailing us information and news about it, things like the Arizona legislature uh, with a fake pre-existing conditions bill that's going to actually make health care worse. Giving circles start telling us that because it becomes their project to save democracy in their country. And how, how can people get involved? Like, just go to futurenow.com? Futurenow.org. Uh, they can go to futurenow.org. They can learn about the Giving Circles program. They can actually, with uh, three easy clicks, start their own Giving Circle. And then one of our experts in helping them really figure out how to build their community, hit their fundraising goal, and start learning about how to fix our democracy from the states up. Uh, we'll be in touch with them. And I know that now.org. I know that states like Arizona are like six seats away from flipping, right? I mean, it's like got to be one of your major ta- ta- targets. In the Arizona House, you're one seat away from a tie. Uh, right today, there are more Democrats in the Arizona House than any time since 1965. We're one vote short of a tie. Wow. Uh, in 2018, Future Now Fund was there. The candidate came 267 votes short. Yep, yep, that one yep. District. One seat. Uh, and in the Senate, two for a tie. So both chambers are ripe, ripe for the picking. Wow. So wait a minute. I was listening to The Wilderness, uh, and I could have sworn they said it was six seats away from a tie. In them, but I, you would know better than me. This is what you do for a living. I'm just, I'm just going by John Favreau, uh, you know, another broadcaster who I really like listening to. Uh, and I, what other states are you working in? What, what, you know, other than Arizona, which is clearly ripe for, for flipping and probably going to flip presidentially. We're all, we're all talking about Wisconsin, uh, as a tipping point, but I think Arizona has the same electoral votes and is even riper for flipping. Uh, I mean, they elected Kristen Cinema. It looks like Kelly is, is doing, doing very well, uh, in his Senate race. I could see that, that state turning. Is there another state that we should be on the lookout for a, you know, a red to blue state legislature? Yeah, another one with real presidential implications. The Michigan House, uh, three seats away from a tie, four from an outright majority. The closest three seats in 2018, the Democrats lost cumulatively fewer than 1,500 votes. Wow. Wow. So close. Wow. Uh, wow. Ready, ready to go. And I think that, uh, what's her name, Gretchen Whitmer, uh, uh-huh. the governor of Michigan, is, is a rising star in the party. I mean, I, you never want to be there given that response to the State of the Union. Um, I almost feel like they should do a real time fact check at the end. I don't, I don't know. It was, it's crazy, but I think she's a rising star. I thought she was a rising star before I saw her last night. Uh, and I think she did relatively well considering the circumstances, it's a tough thing to do. All right. I got about four minutes left with you. Let's talk a little 2020 politics because you and I, you know, we, we spent our whole lives in politics and there is a major election coming on. Uh, what do you make of the Iowa debacle and, and who do you think it helps? Uh, who does it help? Donald Trump, unfortunately. Um, mm. But uh, but look, you know, I think that it's a little bit of a re- reset, uh, probably for uh, everyone, certainly for the top four. I'd even argue for Klobuchar. And so, you know, I think we'll see, um, you know, by Super Tuesday, I'm hopeful that by Super Tuesday there starts to be a path to a nominee, really whoever it is, because I really do think it's such a distraction to right. – um, uh, do this. The truth is, uh, Donald Trump uh, can't be written off. He couldn't in 2016. He can't now. We need to have a uh, conversation about who he is and what he's doing to this right. country. Right. And that gets easier once there's a nominee. Right. You know, uh, did you hear James Carville's uh, take like on Wednesday when he was basically saying, look, 
you know, we're not really doing what we should be doing to beat this guy. He's going to say anything, do anything. We need a, a candidate that's going to appeal across the board, and we've got to be ready to take him head on. I kind of agree with that. I think we are not taking him head on. I don't think we're really... I think Nancy Pelosi ripping up the speech was like the first sign of like, hey, screw you, buddy, uh, that that I've seen in a while from the party. Uh, do you think the party's even capable of taking this guy head on? Uh, look, I think it'll be easier when, you know, we're not obsessed with uh, the day-to-day psychodrama between the presidential candidates, you know, the, the um, Democratic candidates. Yeah, you know, I, I do. I, it's funny. We see this in the state legislative level, right? So we have a whole different perspective because we're seeing what these folks, hundreds of them are cr- across the country, are hearing on the doors. And, you know, what they're hearing on the doors is not tell me why I shouldn't be with Trump. They're hearing on the doors. Uh, we're worried about uh, population loss in rural and small town communities. We're worried about roads with potholes that kill people in Mississippi. We're worried about health care that's driving our family members into bankruptcy right. uh, across the country. And you know what else we're hearing about? Poisoned water. Mm. Forever chemicals in water that are poisoning people yep. that a captured Republican Party can't do anything about because it's protecting its corporate polluting paymasters. Those issues take Donald Trump on head on because they don't let it be about Donald Trump. What's the yeah. biggest attack on Donald Trump? The biggest way to weaken Donald Trump? Don't let him be the center of attention. Mm. And uh, the issues are ripe. People's frustration is ripe. I think that this whole idea of sort of being in a reality show gossip uh, echo chamber does play into his hands. I think we need to be calling him out on corruption, calling him out on uh, a party that is not putting people first or draining the swamp. And I think we can do that at the local level and at the national level. And I think that all of this... uh, fun sports like um we got reporting a, and uh, focus we've had the last few weeks and we're going to have the next few weeks we got to really stop with the sports it. right okay one quick question before i uh I, I let you go will our former boss be the majority leader in 2021 if it is possible he will never underestimate chuck schumer we never He's underestimate harder, harder chuck harder schumer <laughs> uh, and if the math allows for it he will. I think they're going to pick. They're certainly going to pick up seats. So Dan, Dan, futurenow.org, and you are what at Daniel Squadron on on Twitter, right? It's not. It's not Dan. It's Daniel. Am I correct? It is Daniel Squadron. Daniel Squadron on Twitter. <laughs> Does future? I always got to go into my Schumer voice when I'm with another fellow former Schumer guy. I go into. My, I mean, it's gotten better. It, you know, you you could interview yourself. As I I could do Chuck Schumer talking to Donald Trump. You know, Chuck. Anyway, Dan Squadron, futurenow.org. That's Dan. All right, I'll be right back. Stay where you're at. Hope you liked that interview. One of the great things about working uh, for Senator Schumer is that all of his alumni, for the most part, are doing really interesting things with their career. Um, Not everyone... um, is uh, public about it, they're, but they're all doing some very interesting work, even if it's not their professional work. Their side, uh, their side jobs are almost always doing something to make this world and this country a better place. So Chuck had a lot of great people working for him, and uh, hopefully I'll get to bring you some more of them over the years because I, I think you'd really enjoy hearing about some of their uh, endeavors and, and hearing their stories. You know, I, I didn't really get into it with Dan. I didn't have enough time 
because I'm on that radio clock. But uh, pretty soon I'm going to just do some podcast interviews and they may go a little longer. Although I am trying to keep these podcasts now under an hour. So, um, uh, you know, I want these to be, you know, something you could take in one bite. <laughs> so uh, hopefully you're enjoying it. And uh, I really enjoy doing it. Uh, we're, we're growing by leaps and bounds. Uh, we're one of the most popular political podcasts in America. I really do appreciate it. Uh, tell a friend. And don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Christopher Hahn on Twitter. Uh, ChristopherHahn.com. You can email me there. A lot of you have taken me up on that. You've gone to ChristopherHahn.com and you've emailed me. I haven't updated that site in a while, but the email address that's on there is still good. And there is a link to the podcast and also links my Twitter feed so you can see what's going on. But at Christopher Hahn on Twitter, Christopher Hahn NY on Instagram, although I don't use that enough. So I'm not verified on Instagram, so I don't I don't play around uh, with it that much because they, they don't really value me. So it's I don't think anybody wants to see my pictures anyway. I put my ties up there right before I'm going to go on the air. It's a good place to find out if I'm going to be on the air. Um, on TV, that is. You don't need to see my tie on my radio show or on my podcast because you can't see me. That's the beauty of this medium. I could do this in my messy office or in my studio, and I could wear a baseball hat and jeans, and nobody is the wiser. So I hope you're enjoying it. And I hope you're taking what I'm saying to heart, right? This is going to be one of those years where we all got to come together, and we also have to convince our conservative friends, not all of them, just a very small percentage of them, that this man is not fit for office. He is not fit for office. I don't think you'd hire him uh, to work in in your office, let alone the Oval Office. So I, I think we need to really be having these conversations with conservatives. You know, this whole thing at the prayer breakfast, I mean, I know I go on about this a lot, but I grew up in the evangelical church and I still don't understand how evangelicals are are still with this guy. I mean, the way he talked and the way he basically disagreed with Christ at the national prayer breakfast. If Obama had done that, it would be, you know, the roof would have blown off the Capitol. If Obama would have went out into the East Room uh, of the White House and and held that kind of press conference, everybody lost their mind. If he would have given a State of the Union where he was, uh, let's say, let's say Obama gave Rachel Maddow or me uh, the Presidential Medal of Freedom at the State of the Union, could you imagine? The, the the next like week on Sean Hannity's show or any show, quite frankly. You think Chuck Todd would have been cool with it? By the way, I'm, I think I'm done with Chuck Todd. I think America needs to be done. I don't, I, I don't hate him. I just think his analysis is kind of old, right? I think that he's living in a world that doesn't exist anymore. I really do believe that both sidesism is part of the problem when there really is a right side and a wrong side to almost all issues. And he's almost always on the wrong side of it. Um, I also think that the analysis of the election that he's giving is, is really looking at how things were in 2012. And I don't think that there are, I, I'm starting to believe that there aren't a lot of swing voters, in America, maybe 1%, 2%. And again, one, 2% in certain places could make a big difference. But I think that what really has to happen is progressives have to get like-minded people to the polls. And trust me, the conservatives are going to be trying to do the same thing. You got to get your people out. You got to motivate. You've got to unify. And all the president is doing is trying to sow disunity. If you look at the Twitter feeds after Iowa, and look, I ranted about Iowa last week. If you listened to the show last week, I gave a pretty thorough uh, rant 
about how I can't stand Iowa. I've never liked Iowa as a as a first in the nation caucus. I don't like it at all. I don't like the caucus process. I think it's undemocratic. We talked about this. I'm not going to go back over it. But what the conservative movement was trying to do with that was saying, oh, they tried to rob Bernie because they think that if they get the Bernie people to do what they did last time, even if it's not all of them, but if it's just some of them, they can win. And guess what? They're right. If they could sow that disunity, they can win. And that's all they're going to try to do the next year. And when you have people like Chuck Todd out there not recognizing that, as a primary motivation of everything this president does, it's just disturbing to me. And I don't think he asks the tough questions. I think he lets conservatives walk all over him. And I think it's maybe maybe it's time that NBC uh, go with somebody else at Meet the Press. I like Shep Smith. I've heard that name floated. I know Shep Smith. I've met him. I've worked with him. Um, I've been on his show. Uh, I think he's a real reporter, a real journalist. I think Chuck Todd's a real journalist. I used to love the newsletter he put out when I worked in the in the Senate. He had he had a news newsletter called the Daily Rundown, which was became his show on MSNBC. And I loved that show when I first when he first started that show. And I used to love Meet the Press Daily, but I just don't know where it's going. Maybe I shouldn't be spending this time ranting about Chuck Todd. Anyway, who knows? He's got a bigger podcast than me. He's got a bigger career than me. I'm just giving you my opinion. I think I think it's I I want to see reporters report. I want to see people on that meet the press chair be a member of the press, not a celebrity, not a personality, somebody who's going to ask probing, difficult questions and going to push back. And maybe if more people start saying this to Chuck Todd, he'll do it because I know he's capable of doing it. Just haven't seen a lot of it lately. And I think going into this election year, we can't allow these, you know, these slights that are aimed to divide go by. And I'm not saying he's one of us. He should be a journalist. He should be independent. But he should not be allowing these lies to take form and to take shape and to just go unchallenged. And you shouldn't cha- you shouldn't let them go unchallenged either, America. You need to fight back. You need to call them out when you see them. And you need to tell your friends. You got to talk to your conservative friends. You got to talk to those people on the fence. You got to get them involved. Get them engaged. Get them to vote this man out. It is too important. Shake off last week, America. Just shake it off. I don't even think it was that good for him. But I'm ready to move on. And I'm ready to fight. Hope you are too. All right, I got to remind you as always to seek the truth, America. Question everything and everyone, even me. Seek the truth, America. I know it's out there and I know you'll find it if you look for it. And I'll be back here again next week to tell you the truth as I see it. I'm Chris Hahn. Thanks for listening to the Aggressive Progressive Podcast.